Thank you so much, Cheryl. I, there is literally nothing more beautiful than the church when it acts like the church. There is no organization, there is no entity on the planet more powerful than the church as the body of Jesus when it's working together to feed itself, care for itself, and reach out to draw other people in. It is amazing. I cried the first service when I listened to Cheryl, and I just cried again. Now, I am a pastor in the PCA, which stands for Pastor Cries a Lot, and um, so I come by it honestly. Hey, on your chairs when you came in is a uh, study, and I encourage you to grab that. Listen, if you want my sermons to go up in excellence by about a hundredfold, take the study and spend time with Jesus reading the Bible every day. My sermons will suddenly become so much better. I promise you, because the Holy Spirit will begin working in your life, you'll get closer and closer to Jesus, and he'll take even the messed up, broken, stumbling, stuttering words of Dave, and they'll be even better for you. So feed on him, not just on Sundays, but feed on, on Jesus and feed with Jesus all throughout the week. And take your study and run, run to small group to be together with other people to open scripture together. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to open the Bible and learn from Jesus. And um, let's spend some time in prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in your church, that you've given gifts to your people, you've given gifts to your body to gather the, the lost. Lord, I pray this morning that as people watch online, as they've gathered together in this place, that as I open the word and read it, that miracles would be happening all over this room and online as people hear the gospel and dead, lost people would turn to Jesus and be saved. Jesus, win the lost through what's about to happen. And Lord, believers who have walked with you and followed you, may they be built up in their faith, that they might know everything that they have in Jesus. And Jesus, may you, by your Holy Spirit, be sending workers out into the harvest field. Would you equip us to do the work of ministry? And Jesus, for the praise of your glory, would you, from this place, send multiplying numbers of disciple makers into the world that every tribe and tongue and people and nation would know what you have done for us, Jesus. And that churches would be planted here in Florida and around the world. That the peoples of this earth would know how great you are. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, if you've been coming the last few weeks, <laughs> you may be thinking, Man, Dave is really laying it on thick. I mean, he's telling us who's responsible for winning the, the lost, uh, the church, who's the church, I'm the church. Oh, man, he's just so excited about winning the lost. And I am. 
I am so excited about what God could do through you to win the lost. But listen, I also meant what I said last week. I am a big fat chicken. And so are you. You know, this week, I had an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with a person at a doctor's office. And you know what? I chickened out. I didn't take advantage of that opportunity. I'm a big fat chicken, and so are you. Because following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. And I come back to Scripture, and I come back to Jesus again and again and again because I so desperately need him. I have the best job in the world because I get to talk about the one that I need more than anybody. And I get to talk about the thing that I need more than anybody, the gospel. And so when I'm telling you what we're going to learn this morning, that following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it, I'm preaching to myself. Because following Jesus is hard for me, but it's worth it. Listen, I I was meeting with a disciple this week and I was equipping him with just a simple method of how to share the gospel with the lost friends that he's praying for in his life. And I was so excited, but in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking I am setting him up for the pain line. I'm setting him up. I'm setting him up for the Christian life, which is hard. Following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. And I know I know that there are times, there will be times this week when you will feel like a failure, when you will will feel inadequate. There will be times this week when the Christian life will seem hard to you. And I want you to know the Christian life is hard. Following Jesus is hard, but it is worth it. And if you will stay with me this morning through this service, I believe that you can leave encouraged in knowing that Jesus Christ will be with you every step of the way, all the way to the end, in all of your joys, in all of your successes, and in all of your failures, in all of your missteps, in those moments when you are a big fat chicken just like me, Jesus will be with you. He is not, he's not against you. Now, look, is, is there a game today of some kind? Is there a game? Listen, the Tampa Bay Bucks, are they in the game? Yeah, the Tampa Bay Bucks are in the game. Now, I grew up in Tampa Bay. It wasn't until I was uh, pretty old that the Bucks, like, actually started winning, I was a kid growing up. I had the Tampa Bay Bucks jacket. I mean, we cheered for the Bucks, but they were terrible. There were more Rowdies fans than there were Tampa Bay Bucks fans. That was the soccer team in Tampa when I was a kid. They had these orange uniforms. They, they had these orange uniforms with cream, cream sickle, and they were bad. So Tony Dungy came to Tampa, and he started putting together a better team, and they started winning, and Tony didn't get to see them win the Super Bowl. He had gone before they won the Super Bowl, but all his players won a Super Bowl, and the Bucs were good, but then they were bad again. They were back. They were back to being terrible, but then last season, during the offseason, we got Tom Brady. 
Are you kidding me? The greatest quarterback ever. The Bucks are back. B-U-C-C-A-N-E-E-R-S. Go Bucks! they're gonna win the Super Bowl. It's gonna happen in Tampa. It's gonna be amazing. But then, Tom Brady, first game of the year. He throws two interceptions and the Bucks lose. They lose to the Saints. We're back to being sorry again. But then we start winning and Tom Brady's doing amazing and we're winning games and we're winning games and then we play the Saints again in November and we're back to being terrible. And the Bucks lose 38 to three, Tom Brady's worst game ever. But then we get to the playoffs and we're winning and we're winning and we beat the Saints and we beat the Packers, the Packers. And now we're in the Super Bowl. Now look, the Christian life is way harder than football. But Tom Brady's experience this season, and my experience as a Bucks fan, is just like that. It's up and it's down. And it's up and it's down. And we're winning and we're losing. And I want you to know that the Christian life following Jesus is hard but it's worth it. And if you ask every single player playing in the game tonight, is it worth it? Every injury, every push-up, every bench press, every squat, every sprint, every practice, every sacrifice, was it worth it to be in that game? They would all say yes. And they would say thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of this game and I'm praying for you that you would know that following Jesus is hard but it's worth it and Jesus is with you every step of the way you need to know that the Christian life following Jesus is hard Jesus told his disciples in his very first parable that sets up Every other parable he ever tells, Jesus tells his disciples in Mark chapter 4 that others are the ones in whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. That was 18 and 19. Let me read 16 and 17 for you. That was what was up on the screen and actually is a part of the sermon. In a similar way, there are the ones in whom the seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And that's some of you. You're excited. You come. You hear me talk about the power of the gospel and the way it moves us out in the world. You receive it with joy. But here's what happens. Immediately, though you have no form root in yourself, but are only temporary, then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And I don't want any of you here watching online, I don't want any of you to be those who hear the word, receive it with joy, but then when persecution arises because of the word, you fall away. I want you to know, lock it in. Following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. So stay with me through the message, and before we leave this morning, you are going to have hope 
you are going to have something to hold on to when following Jesus is hard so that you'll remember and turn back to Jesus and say, it's worth it. It's worth it. So turn to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to follow Moses through this chapter. And just like Tom Brady, it doesn't get off to a very good start. So afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they might celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and uh, or with the sword. Now, two things are happening in this passage, these three verses. Number one, no truer words have ever been spoken by anyone than when Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord. No one has ever been more honest. And no one has ever demonstrated the fact that he didn't know the Lord than Pharaoh does and will continue to do throughout all his interaction with Moses. Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. He resists the God of the Bible. He hates the people of God. Pharaoh does not know the Lord. And we live in a world populated by people who come into this world not knowing the Lord, despite the fact that there's evidence all around us that God exists. And the Bible speaks from cover to cover of his love and grace, the truth of the gospel that invites us to believe and follow Jesus. But people do not know the Lord. Those are the people that we're interacting with every single day who don't know Christ and they don't know him, but they can. So it's true, Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, but it's also true. The second thing that happens in these first three verses is that Moses completely fouls it up. Moses gets it completely wrong. He says the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong people. Moses completely fouls it up. Look back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. In Exodus 3, verse 18, these are the instructions God gave. God said, they will pay heed to what you say, those are the Israelites, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, so now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Moses goes to Pharaoh with Aaron, but he doesn't take the elders with him. He goes to Pharaoh with Aaron, and he doesn't even share the message correctly. He has the wrong people, and he gives the wrong message, and Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let you go. Then he remembers the message, and he gets pretty close to the message that God had him preach, but he adds to it. And he says, Pharaoh, you've got to let us go because God's going to strike us. And he forgets grace. He forgets the gospel. He doesn't tell Pharaoh the truth. He doesn't tell Pharaoh the gospel. He fouls it completely up. 
That gives me great encouragement. <laughs> that gives me such hope. Because I foul it up all the time. I fouled it up in the last 10 minutes. But you know what? God in his grace and his mercy chooses to work through fouled up broken instruments to accomplish his plan and purpose. God is not undone in his planning when we foul it up. In fact, he knows ahead of time and God uses Moses's failure to contribute to Pharaoh's hardness of heart and Pharaoh, because of his hardness of heart, continues to resist God. And he says, I don't know the Lord. I'm not letting the people of Israel go. Both are true. Both are true. Well, the story goes on and it's going to get worse. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they, make, uh, which they were making previously, you will impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go to sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. Every genocide, every humanitarian crisis, from Rwanda to Cambodia, to Eastern Europe, to the Soviet Union, to Nazi Germany, to Afghanistan and Somalia and Sudan. Every genocide has followed this exact same pattern. A group, a minority group, is thought to be other. And then they're given a name, lazy. And then, dehumanized by this name-calling and this otherness, they are then systematically beaten, murdered, and destroyed. And that's the path that Israel is now on because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. They're other. Then they're lazy. And we're going to see in the next verses, they be begin to be beaten and killed by Pharaoh and their taskmasters. This is the pattern of genocide. It's the pattern of genocide that's happening in the world today. What can we, as Christians, do? We can do two things. Number one, we can say what's true about humanity. That all people are made in the image of God and they matter to him. There are not other kind of people. There are people. And when we as Christians teach others what's true about humanity, and when we speak words of encouragement and affirmation in truth to the lost world around us, genocide is resisted. Hatred is resisted. Falsehood is resisted. 
You say, well, what difference could that make? It could make a huge difference. Just try. Start telling people the true things, the good things, the encouraging things that you see in their lives and watch what God begins to do in the world around you. So we can speak true words. The second thing we can do is be people of the book. To be people of the book. You say, where is that? Well, look in verse 9. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. Now, Pharaoh is the anti-hero. So if the anti-hero says false words, what does that make those words? True. The anti-hero says these are false words, therefore we know they're true words. There is nothing more dangerous to the broken, sinful, sin-scarred world order than a Christian with a Bible that they are willing to obey. Jesus Christ invites us to take, take our Bibles into our lives and begin to obey them so that we believe true words and we speak true words and there is nothing more dangerous to the genocidal impulses of sinful man than a believer a follower of jesus who's willing to obey the bible so we can speak true words and we can be people of the book so the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying thus says pharaoh i am not going to give any straw you go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? The people of Israel and Moses are realizing that following Jesus is hard. And they're beginning to ask the question, is it worth it? And the answer that we're going to learn is that yes, it's worth it. Following Jesus is hard and it's worth it. Following Jesus is hard. Verse 15, when the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. Yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are being beaten. But it is the fault of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work. For you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen are bold. These are Jewish men. They go to Pharaoh. They appeal to Pharaoh and they say, you're not dealing justly. You're not being wise in the way you're ruling this people. And Pharaoh is hard in his heart. He resists God and he resists the truth that the, that the foremen are sharing with him. And he says, you will continue to labor without any benefit and I will continue to make life hard for you. And then the people of Israel realize what's really going on. 
verse 19. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The foreman and the people of Israel, they realized that something greater than just good old-fashioned sin or hardness of heart is happening. They say, you have, uh, we are in trouble. And the word trouble in Hebrew is the word ra, and it means evil. They realize that they are up against evil. They are up against a world system that hates God and hates his people. They are not dealing with just run-of-the-mill sin. They are up against Ra. They are up against evil. They're in trouble. There's something bigger going on here than just the relationship between the Israelites and the Egyptians. There is a fight for loyalty. There is a fight for good versus evil, right versus might. There is a fight for the people of God that is taking place in this conflict between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, and it is going to be hard. It is going to be a knockdown, drag out battle for the next several chapters. God of Israel is going to go into battle against the evil of Egypt, and God is going to win. I mean, keep coming back. It's going to be worth it. But God is going to be is going to win. He's going to win. God will triumph over evil. And that points to the cross of Christ. Because on the cross of Christ, God triumphed over evil once and for all. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to destroy forever the power of evil. And he rose from the dead to prove that he had done it. Evil has lost its fight against the people of God because of Jesus and his work on the cross. The next thing we see in these verses is you have become, they, they say we have become odious in the sight of Pharaoh. Odious means we stink. Anybody ever told y'all you stink? Well, it's true. You stink. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Paul tells us we stink. I mean, I stink, you stink, we all stink. What makes us stink is Jesus. What makes us stand out in this sin-scarred, evil world is the life of Jesus that's moved in to our lives, and he causes us to be stinky with one of two odors. Either we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Who among us could possibly say with confidence, I can follow Jesus, this is going to be a piece of cake. 
No, following Jesus is hard. But we can all say that following Jesus is worth it. Because although we stink, we are an aroma of life to some who through our lives and the proclamation of the gospel that comes from our lips will hear of Jesus and they will turn to Jesus and be saved from their sin. And that's exactly what we see happen in this passage to Moses. Moses turns to the Lord. Verse 22, then Moses returned to the Lord. And the word return is the Hebrew word for repent. Moses sees his desperate need of Jesus and he runs to Jesus for help. And while he had run 40 years earlier, he had run away from Egypt and run into the wilderness. Now, in his moment of need, in his moment of desperation, when he realizes that following Jesus is hard, he runs to Jesus. And it's a picture. It's a picture of all of our lives that we learn from the gospel to run to Jesus again and again and again and again. And when we're a big fat chicken, we run to Jesus. And when we failed, we run to Jesus. And when we are able to share the gospel in all of our inadequacy and we see people come to faith in Christ, we run to Jesus and we offer him praise and thanks. We run to the Lord. And Moses runs to the Lord and he says, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. And you have to come back next week to hear how the Lord responds to Moses's heartfelt prayer of repentance. Moses responds to the Lord to God responds to Moses' repentance, and throughout chapter 6, four times he reminds him, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Oh, I will never leave you, Moses. I'll never forsake you, Moses. Yeah, you fouled it up, but I'm with you. Yeah, you're a big chicken, but I'm with you. Yes, following Jesus is hard but it's worth it. I will be with you all the way to the end. Moses, turn to the Lord, won't you? Won't you? You say, oh, this task of getting the gospel out, it's so hard. Of course it's hard, but it's worth it. Turn to the Lord and find help and grace and support from him. Turn to the Lord. Acknowledge those places in your heart that are filled with doubt Turn to the Lord and, and take your places of sin to him. Following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. Turn to the Lord and admit to him, God, I don't understand how to stand against evil in this world. Help me. And he will. Turn to the Lord. Because following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. Following Jesus is hard because of the sin within us. Following Jesus is hard because of the sin within us. We foul it up. Following Jesus is hard because of the sin around us. And the people that we talk to about Jesus, sometimes they stiff arm Jesus and they want nothing to do with Jesus because of the sin that's in them. 
And other times there's sin around us and we get hit with friendly fire. And we have people who say, well, you shouldn't share the gospel like this and you shouldn't do this and that thing. And we we're hit by friendly fire and that's hard. Following Jesus is hard because of the sin within us, because of the sin around us. And sometimes following Jesus is hard because of the evil that comes against us. And I want you to know that you have a savior. You don't have a cheerleader. You don't have a life coach. You don't have a person who comes alongside you and says, oh, buck up, you can do it. Just try a little harder. You have a savior. His name is Jesus. And he has never done, he has never asked you to do something that he ha hasn't already done himself. You have a savior. And he invites you to turn to him. He saved you. Not because of the righteous things that you had done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? It means that following Jesus is hard, but you have been invited into the presence of God through Jesus. You have a savior. He doesn't just get you halfway home. He gets you all the way there. He's a savior. He's not an inspired rabbi. He's not a life coach. He's not waiting for you to craft a perfect life statement. He is your life. He's your savior. Trust him alone as he's offered to you in the gospel. Jesus says, I am a savior. And I have saved you. Has he? Are you saved by the blood of Jesus, by the righteousness of Jesus? Have you put your trust in him alone as he's offered to you in the gospel? Won't you? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, following Jesus is hard, but it's worth it. So here's what I want you to consider this week. I want you to choose your hard. Following Jesus is hard, but not following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Telling others about Jesus is hard. But not telling others about Jesus is hard. Being a disciple of Jesus is hard, but not being a disciple of Jesus is hard. Making disciples of Jesus is hard, but not making disciples of Jesus is hard. So choose your hard. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
And so the path to following Jesus is a door. And through that door, over the sign of that door, Jesus has placed a sign and it says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's what's written on the outside of the door. And we look at it and we count the cost and we choose our hard and we step through that door. And when we do, we turn around and we see on the inside of the door is written the verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been co-crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Choose your heart. On the outside, it says, take up your cross. Oh, but on the inside, I look back and I see that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make it possible for me, even me, the biggest sinner in this room, to follow him. And he's made it worth it. He has stores of joy and treasure for me stored up in heaven. His reward is great. Take up the cross. Come and die. It's a great way to come to life. Step through into life with Jesus because he loves you. He loves you and he's given himself for you. Come and die. Choose your heart. And oh, you will find it is the only way to really come to life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You came and lived. You came and died. And you rose again. As we come to this table, I pray you'd help us. As we come to this table, I pray that you would meet with us, feed us with your presence. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper today.